Well, good morning. Great to be with you today. I uh, was spending Thanksgiving with a family that we're friends with, and he said to me, he said, Darren, what are you preaching on on Sunday? And I said, well, I will be preaching on Luke chapter 18 to Grace Valley Fellowship because we're doing a pulpit swap. And he said, I think that's a reality TV show, isn't it? And, uh, and then my wife chimed in later on and she said, you know, that would be a great show. You could do the real pastors of Phoenixville and uh, see how that goes. So uh, in all seriousness, I am delighted to be with you. I want to tell you up front what I hope to accomplish with you today. Uh, it's the mission of my ministry. It's the reason that I am a pastor. It's the reason I'm still a pastor uh, after about seven years. And that comes from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his second letter in chapter 1, verse 24, uh, as he's explaining his office and what he hopes to accomplish, he says, you know, regarding my authority, he said, I don't, I don't desire to lord it over your faith, but I work with you for your joy. And I want to say to you, those of you who find yourselves here today and you do believe in Christ, you consider yourselves Christians, I want to tell you that my goal and my purpose here today is that you would walk out of this room and that you would approach the year to come with a deeper and a more profound joy in God than you presently have. And I'll say for those of you who are here today and you don't identify as Christians, or perhaps you're here and you're not sure uh, what you think about all these things, I want to tell you my goal is exactly the same for you. My desire is that you would perhaps this day, perhaps this year, discover a joy that you did not know was possible in the God who created you. That's my goal. And it's been, I, it's been my mission since I uh, was ordained back in 2011. And I had an experience about a year ago this time, actually, uh, that sort of called all of this into question. Uh, Ironworks Church was planted beginning in uh, May of 2011. I was ordained in December. And uh, church planting is a, a fun experience. If you're considering it, you know, I would say good luck with that. Um, you know, let me know when you need some counseling. It's, uh, it costs you a great deal. And uh, it costs me a great deal. About uh, this time last year, I had lost my mom in 2015 to disease, and then on October the 2nd of last year, um, I was notified that my dad had been in a car accident in Mexico, and I found myself an orphan. And my uh, session, my elders uh, said they thought that I needed a sabbatical to process these things, and I was about six months out from my scheduled sabbatical, so I took one. And actually, one of the first weeks of my sabbatical, I sat, I wanted to come hear Paul preach, um, so I came and heard someone else preach here <laughs> on that day. I sat almost as far in the back as I could find a seat, and in this room, that's, you can go pretty far back. And um, I found myself, friends, sitting in that chair with a profound void of joy, a profound void of joy. And so it began to call into question, uh, what was I seeking to do as a minister, and was I accomplishing it? Uh, and if not, what kind of change might I make if I were going to continue? And I decided that you know, every pastor has to study something on their sabbatical, so I decided that I would study two things, and one of those things would be prayer. I would study prayer. And uh, the fruit of my sabbatical as I came back in Easter of last year, uh, is a sermon series I preached called Living on a Prayer, 
learning to love to pray. And friends, that is uh, the more specific goal I have today for you is that I want you not simply to pray more than you presently do, though that's certainly true, right? If you're here and you rarely pray, right, or you don't pray at all, some of you, I desire that you would start praying, but if that's all that happens, if you become a more disciplined person, I will consider myself to having failed today because my goal and my desire for you is that you would not simply begin to pray, but that you would learn to love to pray. And this was the uh, subject of my sabbatical, and as I came to the scriptures, uh, what this passage shows us, what Jesus states very clearly at the beginning is that the key to joy in the Christian life is found in prayer, right? He says it very plainly. You got to love preachers. I always gravitate towards what I call these easy passages where the main point is spelled out in high definition. As the narrator says, Jesus told them this parable with the intended result that they would always pray and not lose heart. And friends, there is no, I think, greater reference to the absence of joy in the Christian life, the absence of joy that I'm after for myself and for you, than is what is captured in these words, losing heart. So that's what we're going to attempt to accomplish today. The context of this parable, if you look at the previous chapter, chapter 17, what Jesus is doing is he's talking about the end of the age. He's talking about the calamity that will come on the world. And it's why I asked Marcella to play this song, a wonderful song from R.E.M. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. Because what Jesus is doing is he's saying, this is the end is coming, and it's going to be awful. And then he turns to this parable and he says, my goal is that you would pray always and not lose heart. And friends, that is the true test of authentic Christian joy, right? If you find yourselves full of joy when everything in your life is going well, that's wonderful. You should, right? But if if that's all that you know, you may not actually have the kind of joy that I am seeking both for myself and for you today. Because the kind of joy that I'm after, the kind of joy that Jesus Christ is after in this passage is the kind that can only that, that is found when the world is falling apart. When you receive the call from your spouse informing you that they have left and are not coming back. When the doctor leaves you that message with a diagnosis that's far worse than you ever imagined. When you start bouncing checks. When your child comes to you and says, I have no desire to go to church as he's in college. It's in those moments that authentic Christian joy is revealed. Is it true there and then? Is it the end of the world as we know it and you are feeling fine? And Jesus says the key to not losing heart is to pray always. All right, let's, let's look at that together. This uh, idea of losing heart, by the way, is code. If you look at verse 8, the end of the passage, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so the, the end of losing heart is actually losing faith, 
right? It's where a person who once identifies as a Christian comes to a place in their life where the joy has gone to such an extent that they say, you know what, I no longer believe any of these things. I no longer want to attend church. And it's interesting because there, we live in a time where this is actually becoming such a reality that we now have words to describe it, right? So pastors, you know, read these books and we talk about, you know, how can we reach the unchurched and how can we reach, you know, this group and that group? And there's a new term that's been coined, right? We have the unchurched, those who don't go to church, and then we have what's called the de-churched. That's those who used to go to church and no longer do. This is such a significant group of people that there's actually now a term for it. Uh, And one of the more heartbreaking uh, examples for me personally is a man named Derek Webb. So if you're familiar with Derek Webb's music, he has written, uh, in my opinion, some of the most profound Christian writing uh, in the musical realm in, in our day and in our generation. Some of his songs have led me into such profound worship uh, but a number of years ago, he had an affair on his wife and uh, eventually walked away from Christ and now is devoting a better part of his time to effectively convincing Christians that they may want to consider walking away from Christ as well. And I will tell you that as a pastor, a uh, big part of our job is walking with uh, those entrusts to our care, and that's um, even in seven years, that's been my experience. So I've walked with church members through death, uh, death of spouses, death of children, death of loved ones. I've walked through spouse, uh, folks with, through divorce, through depression, through separation, through agony over children, through anxiety, through insomnia, through infertility, through doubts, through suffering, through unemployment. And I will tell you that as you walk with people through things that you cannot imagine going through yourself, Right? There's things that I, I cannot imagine going through myself. In fact, when I was on sabbatical, I was you know, enjoying life, kicking back, doing nothing, and I got a call from a church member who rarely calls me. So I thought, I better answer the phone. So I answered the phone saying, hey, what, what leads you to call me? And she said, I'm in the ambulance, and the baby isn't breathing, and I don't know when would you pray for me. And I met her in the ambulance at Phoenixville and walked with her through saying goodbye to her two-month-old son. And I cannot imagine having to face that myself. But friends, I want to tell you that these things are not the things that I fear the most for myself and for you, right? When I think about the things that you might walk through, some things are unspeakably horrible, Those are not, however, the things I fear the most. The thing that I fear the most for myself, for my family, for my church, and for those of you who are listening today is the losing of heart with the result that you walk away from Christ forever, right? So how is it that you might not lose heart? Another another way to say it, how is it that you might have and embrace the kind of Christian joy that will stick with you no matter what. Well, this is what Jesus, of course, is talking about. He's saying the key to that is very simple. It's through having a kind of relationship with my Father that's described by the words, 
praying always. And he'll, he'll expand on this. I'll say, uh, they cry to him day and night. And, you know, Paul will give us some elaboration on this in his letter to the Corinthians, second letter. He says, we do not lose heart. And I'm reading, by the way, from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. He says, we do not lose heart. And he's describing the own trial that he finds himself in there. It's fairly uh, intense. He says, we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. Do you hear that? Though my life is falling apart, though everything is crumbling at the seams, I am finding an inward renewal day by day. He goes on to say, for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And then here's the key statement. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. Do you hear what he's saying? The renewal that is holding him together is coming from a kind of seeing, right? He says, as we look to the things, not that are seen, that are unseen, right? He's describing faith. Well, you take that statement, right, seeing things that are unseen, and you take Jesus' words here in Luke chapter 18, and you put them together, and guess what we find? The way to a deeper and a higher definition faith comes through prayer. It comes through prayer. It's interesting, uh, in Tim Keller's wonderful book on prayer, he starts it off by uh, relating this story after he had planted uh, Redeemer Presbyterian Church in New York City. Uh, 9-11 happens, his wife develops Crohn's disease, and then he develops thyroid cancer. And his wife has with him what I might call the talk. And she pulls him aside and she says, you know, we've never faced anything like this before. We've never faced this many things at one time. And this is what she said to him. She said, if we do not begin praying like we ought to, I am confident that we will not make it through this. And uh, it was kind of that moment that actually changed their life. And he said, even to this day, that has remained the case. And God has seen them through it through prayer. And what we find is that prayer changes you experientially. One of my mentors says this. He says, prayer converts faith into experience. Right? So you can read the Bible. You can go about your, your life. And you can be told that some things are true, but it is only when you experience them in and through prayer that your faith is deepened in this way. It's interesting, Martin Luther uh, was a man of incredible prayer, and this is what he said regarding studying the Bible. He said this, he says, the Holy Scriptures cannot be penetrated by study and talent. Therefore, your first duty is to begin to pray. And to pray to this effect, that if it pleases God to accomplish something for his glory, not for yours or any other person's, that he very graciously grant you a true understanding of his words. For no master of the divine words exists except the author of these words. As he said, they shall all be taught of God. You, therefore, must completely despair of your own industry and ability 
and rely solely on the inspiration of the Spirit. And it's interesting, uh, William Russell, who has studied the Protestant Reformation, he had this to say. He said, for Luther, the Reformation was about how the church prays. The emphasis on prayer in the context of catechetical instruction is in the heart of Luther's Reformation theology. And I want you to think about that for a second, right? Protestant Reformation, they reclaimed the scriptures. They reclaimed the ability for you to know God without having to be told what to believe by the church, right? They dealt with the whole indulgence issue. And what uh, William Russell is saying is that the product, if you get the Reformation, if you get the study of scripture, if you get faith alone, that will show up in the way that you pray. That's where it happens, dear friends. So that's where we are. And Jesus, of course, is getting at this as well. And to get at this, he tells what I call an absurd parable, right? It's, you have to always wonder what's going on here when Jesus does things like compare a holy and righteous God to a sleazebag judge. And that's what he's up to here. Uh, it's what I call the absurd parable. Jesus is talking about a judge, he says, who neither fears God nor respects man, has no interest in giving judgment, uh, justice, but he will to the person who cries continually. Now, I, I understand this very well. This is something that I did not have to learn. I know it better than anyone I know because I have a child who practices this with perfection. And in fact, after I uh, shared this sermon for the first time, she has upped, she has upped her game uh, to, with great success. So if there's something that she wants in life, which is uh, basically every day, she will ask, she will beat me down by her continual coming until finally I will give in and I'll say, enough, <laughs> whatever you want, stop, please. And what Jesus is doing is he's saying, you know, this is how I want you to relate to your heavenly Father. I don't want you to stop. Don't stop. Don't give up. It's interesting. Uh, after my dad passed last year, we were uh, finding ourselves having to settle his estate, which was fairly complex because he was living out of the country in Mexico and had assets in Texas, and it was this very complicated thing. And my lawyer said it's going to be over really quick in Texas because we've got everything set case is closed, it's going to be great, fly down on December 9th to appear in court, and you'll walk out of there having concluded everything. So I bought my ticket, JetBlue, was ready to go. On Friday, I get an email saying, it's off, don't come. So we canceled our trip, and we found ourselves uh, with a judge who had taken issue with our case. And this judge actually had a reputation of being the hardest judge in the county to please. He had a temper. You never knew uh, how he was going to feel on any particular day. And out of all the judges that we could have uh, been selected for our probate, we got this one. And uh, we found ourselves really at his mercy, trying over and over again to jump through hoop after hoop after hoop. And finally, uh, we actually were, were surprised that things concluded at the end of March. It took all those months. But Jesus, of course, here is using what we might call an argument of the lesser to the greater, right? An argument of the lesser 
to the greater. And this is what Jesus' point is, very simply. He's saying, if a man who neither fears God nor respects man, if this man who has no interest in judgment, no interest in doing what is right, will do what is right when you come continually, then how much more will God, who is the very essence of righteous, how much more will he hear your prayers and give justice to you speedily? And friends, I want to talk to those of you who used to pray and don't anymore, right? Those of you here who used to pray and you really don't anymore, I want you to ask yourself right now, why have you stopped praying? Why have you given up asking for healing in this relationship? Why have you given up in praying for your spouse who has no interest in Christ or in you? Why have you given up on these things? The word of Christ for you today is to be like this widow or to be like my daughter. Now, the question, though, that you will return to me, I'm sure, is this. I've given up because I've prayed for 12 months, 24 months, 48 months, And apparently God is not in agreement with what I'm asking, so I've stopped. How how do I think about that? Well, it's interesting because Jesus, of course, says here, he says, will not God give justice to his elect speedily? Now, the interesting thing is that the whole point of the parable is that this person is praying over and over and over and over and over again. The time is going on and on and on and on, and they find themselves without those things for which they are praying. So how are we to understand this statement, that God will give justice speedily? Well, friends, as I've reflected on this, the only answer that I can discern is this, that when God reveals to you all that he is doing in the world, at the end of the age, when he lifts the curtain on his plan for your life, for your loved ones, right? Scripture says, all the days that were ordained for me were written in your book before any of them came to pass, right? That you saw my unformed body in the depths of the earth as you were knitting me together, planning out my life. As his plan is revealed to you. I believe that in every situation, you will look at his plan and you will utter the words, Amen. It was good. All of that waiting was good. All of that heartache was good. All of that silence as I cried out for years and then I stopped was good. You see, friends, prayer is intended to convert what you know about God into experience. And one of the ways you learn to love to pray is to discover that God is real and that he is always hearing you and he is always responding. Always. So that is what Jesus is up to, but I think there's actually yet another reason to this. There's another reason that Jesus is using what I think is is on its surface a parable of great absurdity, right? As pastors, we would never do this. I would never, after my experience with this judge, the last thought on my mind was, oh, this judge kind of reminds me of the Lord, (laughs) right? Totally 
would never, would never go to that one, right? So why, oh why, oh why would Jesus intentionally use this particular parable to communicate the person, the ways, and the things of God to us today? Well, friends, I think there's a deeper uh, meaning besides simply uh, the argument of lesser to greater. Why would Jesus concern himself so much with a judge known for injustice? Well, friends, the only answer can be that for Jesus Christ, that this would be his own experience, wouldn't it? Jesus Christ would go to the garden. He would cry out, Scripture says, with loud cries and tears. He would say, take this cup from me. I don't want this cup I can't walk this path. Would you take it from me? I've done nothing wrong. My hands are clean. I have lived a perfect and just and holy life. And the judge said, no, you must suffer. The scripture will go on to say that he who knew no sin became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Can't you see, friends, as Jesus is telling us this parable, what's on his mind is his own experience. As Jesus Christ comes to that place and his mission is to absorb all of the wrong done by you and I, to bear that in his own body and soul so that you and I can become children of God, and God always hears and answers his children, always. And Jesus would say to those of you today, particularly those of you who are here and you're not sure what you think about all this God stuff and Christian stuff, he would say this to you today. Take some time to consider who I am. Take some time, even I would dare say to you, to pray to me. And what you will find is that I have always been pursuing you at the most profound cost to myself. And therefore, if you would receive me, then you will become someone who has unfettered access to the God of heaven someone who can ask anything of God. It's interesting, Jesus will say even uh, later on in the Gospel of John, he'll say, I want you to ask huge things of my Father so that your joy would be full. He reaffirms it there. And therefore, friends, wherever you find yourselves uh, in your Christian walk, in your Christian journey, whether you uh, are a Christian already or you're not yet, my simple desire for you today is that you would take a fresh look at the person and work of Jesus Christ, that you would see him bearing your shame, taking your sorrows, bearing all of your grief in himself to purchase for you the kind of access that we have in prayer. And my plea is that you would use it, that you would walk out of this room, that the year to come, would be a year characterized by loving to pray. Let me pray for you now.
Oh, Lord, our God, we praise you. Holy Spirit, we adore you. And I pray, oh God, for myself, I pray for those of us here today that we would find you, Jesus Christ, and your humiliation for us and your taking of sin on our behalf. And I pray that you would open our eyes to how deeply and how richly and how profoundly we are loved in you. And I pray that as you give us eyes of faith, I pray that you would lead us back to that place at your feet, casting our cares on you in prayer. Oh God, I pray that each of us here, from the youngest child to the most senior saint, would find you to be a God who hears their prayers. Lord, I pray that you would draw us in, give us a delight, give us a joy. Show us that you are real. I pray for those particularly today who have given up praying. I pray, O oh God, that you would do something this week to show them your power and your majesty and restore to them the joy of their salvation. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.